This episode of The Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick is brought to you by SeatGeek, the smartest way to buy and sell tickets. Welcome back to The Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. This week, we're joined by one of the greatest shooters of all time, Kyle Korver. Let's go. Yahoo Sports presents The Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick, powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, JJ Reddick. Welcome back to The Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. This week, we're joined by a very special guest, one of the best shooters of all time, a good friend of mine, Kyle Corver. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us. You got it, buddy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you taking the time. Little interesting fact about the two of us both of us have a son. Both of us have a son about a year and a half, and both of us have a son named Knox. I'm not sure people really know that. Do you think it's weird that we both have a son named Knox? I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like my son was born a month before. I feel like I kind of called it, but I know you had chosen the name prior to. This goes back to two summers ago in Vegas. You know, Kyle and I were catching up and, and I said to you like, hey, man, you know, Chelsea and I are having a kid. And you're like, yeah, you know, we're pregnant, too. And I said, uh, you know, what do you have in a boy? And um, when I asked you, I said, what's the name? What are you going with? You didn't want to tell me. And I said, well, we're going with Knox. And it looked like I stole something from you. When The look on your face when I said that. <laughs> uh, it's funny. So I have a three-year-old daughter, um, Kyra, Kyra right. and then yeah. one-year-old son, Knox. And uh, if if Kyra would have been a boy, she would have been named Knox. We have this. Oh man. We have this thing in my family on the Corver side. Everyone's initials are K E K. So gotcha. my kids are the third generation of K names, and we're kind of running out. You know, like, there's not a lot of K names left. There's like thirty of them, right? And then I was talking to you, and you're like, "We're gonna go with Knox." I was like, "Get the heck out of here." <laughs> But I think your name, response man. to me, like you literally, like you were like dumbfounded, and you were like, "But, but we name all our kids with a K." <laughs> Yo, I went, I went. I told my wife back home. Back home, I told my wife, and she's like, "What? No way!" She's like, "The other white pin down shooters." Name I know. I think we talked about two weeks later. And I said to you, I said, look, man, we're, we're going to stick with Knox. And just so you know, like if you go with Knox too, we're cool with that. You know, I said to you, I think it would be totally rad. And who knows if our sons actually end up playing basketball, but it'd be totally rad if, if like 18 years from now, they're seniors in high school or 17 years from now. But when they're 18, they're, they're seniors in high school and they're both, you know, highly nationally ranked basketball players, both named Knox and their dads happen to be like two of the, you know, greatest white shooters ever. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> And actually, it was fun because last summer, uh, while you were at P3 and and in Santa Barbara for the summer, uh, we had taken a little family vacation up there from L.A. And uh, you brought your kids over and your wife and and the Knoxes got to meet. Um, I still have that picture for you, by the way. My wife just made our Santa Barbara book of like the picture book. So I'll I'll send you that picture when I get a chance. All right. All right. right, So you are just an outstanding shooter. I want to go back to the beginning of your kind of basketball career, whether it was when you were eight, nine years old, did someone teach you how to shoot? I think there's this glorified notion of like great shooters that there's like their dad or like one really, you know, huge mentor that takes them out in the backyard or to a park and spends hours with them. Was that the case with you? Did you learn how to shoot from one person or was it just kind of an accumulation of things? 
Yeah. Uh, most of the instruction that I've gotten in shooting has been very bad. Um, very bad. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, when I, when I was young, you know, like I, you're always, you're young, you're trying to shoot out as far as you can, you know, that's what we do when we're kids. And, and yeah, I shot the ball two hands and I had an uncle who was kind of like, yo, you got to pick a hand, man. Like one or the other, but I'm right-handed. He's assuming that I'm going to pick my right hand, but for some reason I could shoot it farther with my left hand. And so for like two years, I shot left-handed when I was young. And then that same uncle came up to me like a couple of years later and we were shooting in the backyard. He's like, what are you doing, man? And I'm like, you know, you told me to pick a hand. He's like, you're right-handed. So I went from left hand to right hand. And then I got some instruction that like I was supposed to like line everything up with like, like off my shoulder and the side of my head. I ended up like, like spinning. I had like a tornado side spin shot. How old were you at this point years. when you when you had your uh, side spin? Like how old were like, you? Almost probably like my sophomore year of high school. I think okay. I had side spin. Oh wow, that was shot. that was pretty late. Yes, yeah, pretty late. <laughs> <laughs> I too changed late, after like late, seventh sure. grade, but whatever. I mean, it's cool, man. No, it's yeah. uh, it's interesting that you started out as a lefty. Last week we had DeAndre Jordan on, and I was trying to get him to shoot right-handed. So, you know, maybe <laughs> if DeAndre would switch back over to his right hand, he becomes the next great big man shooter. So you got a side spin going now as a sophomore. And, and you've got your sophomore. uncle giving you bad instruction. Like, at what point are you actually, like, shooting the, the shit out of the ball like you do now? I, like, my junior year, things kind of flipped over in junior high school. And, I, you know, like, I always probably always thought. I think a lot of shooting is just, like, a mentality, you know. Uh, I think I always probably thought I was a good shooter. But mm-hmm. junior high school, things, so I think... I think a lot of shooting, too, is just getting strong enough to shoot the ball correctly. That's a big part of mechanics. and Right. Uh, so I get, I I get asked all that. Do you get asked a lot by parents about, all like, the, how should I get my son to shoot? And I'm like, your son's 11. Like, let him yeah. hit puberty first, and then we can talk. Uh, I think you're right. I mean, I, I, I kind of had side spin on my shot till I was, like, 13. I hit a growth spurt. I got lucky, and I've talked about this before, uh, but you know, I, I broke my wrist three times, so I was like shooting one-handed underneath the goal for hours, um, really strengthening my wrist. And because I couldn't, you know, you really use my left hand for a while, I would lay either on the floor or in my bed, take a basketball, and just shoot the ball up in the air and work on like wrist strength and and my rotation and and, and whatnot. But it, for me, man, it wasn't. Psh- eighth or ninth grade really till I really understood how to shoot the ball and even since then it it seems like every year I kind of adjust even if it's minimally and then over the course of whatever that is 16 years since my freshman year of high school my shot looks probably completely different did you when so you're you're a junior in high school you're now a shooter when you checked into AAU games did people immediately say even without seeing a scouting report ever seeing you play like shooter shooter I yeah, feel like that's, oh, that happened totally. to me growing up. <laughs> it's, it's funny how that works. You, you mentioned the mentality of being a great shooter, and we're kind of discussing the mechanics and whatnot. If you had to name three keys to shooting, what would it be? If I had to name three keys to shooting, what would they be? Um, well, I think, you know, first of all, it's just the mentality. I mean, if you believe it's a good mm-hmm. shot, the odds of it going in are, are a lot better than if you're just shooting. Like, I have this little saying, like, you can shoot a shot to shoot it, or you can shoot a shot to make it. And I'm a big believer if you're shooting the shot to make it, your percentages are going to go way up. So I think how you, like, how you think about the shot is the first thing. I think, obviously, rhythm is important to shooting. Um, I think there's natural things that you can do with your technique that, that kind of give you a natural rhythm. Uh, and I, th- I think your rhythm starts in your legs, you know, so really... 
being able to generate the power that you know makes the shot feel like it's not quite as far is very very important. So like for me, like really getting in, into my hips, um, really kind of feeling my heels, uh, just kind of gives me more power and helps me shoot the ball better. Uh, and then for me, uh, release point, you know, getting my elbow up and having a, a high release point is probably the third one. If I'm just going to pick three, I would probably start with that. I think I've read somewhere, and, and maybe we talked about this last summer, you saying you don't take as many reps. You don't take as many practice reps. Is that true? Like you're not someone, you know, because I'm sure you get to ask this too, which I do. You know, how many shots do you take a day? Do you take a thousand shots a day? Do you take 500 shots a day? Like, what is your yeah. mentality in terms of repetition? Because I look for me, that shooting is is what you said. It's the confidence part of it. It's the mental part of it. Yeah. It is form. You got to have some sort of form and rhythm. You know, in terms of it's like a golf swing. You know, the muscle memory has to work. And then the third thing is the repetition. So, what's your mentality with that repetition? I think there's definitely like if you look at like a whole career, like a whole basketball story. I, I definitely think there is a time for trying to shoot a thousand shots a day. You know, like right. I think there's a time when once you get like some good technique or you're trying to find your technique, and you just you lock yourself up in the gym and and you just live in there. You know, and like I think there's a time for that. You know, for me now, it you know I turned 35 in a couple of weeks, like. Shooting a thousand shots. If I shoot a thousand shots today, like I'm gonna be really sore and tired tomorrow. You know, like it's just not a smart thing for me to do. Like, you know, for me, if if I shoot, I like to shoot a little bit before practice. I like to shoot a little bit after practice. Fifteen minutes tops. You know, I, if I can shoot anywhere from thirty to one hundred and fifty threes, and I shoot it at game speed, and I shoot it uh, trying to make them. Like I was saying earlier, I shoot them with perfect technique, or trying to find that perfect technique and try to find that rhythm. And it's all about just kind of like maintaining that confidence, maintaining that rhythm. I think different people have, you know, different philosophies or everyone's different. They feel different. They need different things. For me, you know, I probably don't need more than 20 or 30 minutes of shooting in a day. To kind of just maintain where, where I want no, to that, be. That is, that is a great point. I think mechanically, as you develop, there are some times where you do have to, as you said, lock yourself in the gym and, and shoot hundreds and hundreds of shots. And at the point that you're at and the point that I'm at, you know, I don't know that that makes sense for me either. And my philosophy at this point in my career is, is pretty much the same. You know, even during the off season, you know, I might be on the court for an hour in a workout, but I might only make 150 or 200 shots. You know, it's all about, mm-hmm. you know, doing the shots at game speed and taking shots that I would take in a game. And the other thing too is I always say like I don't count takes I count makes you know I, totally. I want to be I want to be a, a shot maker not a shot taker all right Absolutely. so along with the mechanics of things you know one of the interesting things that has kind of happened to you this year and has happened to me at different points in my career including earlier this season is when you have an injury you know I'll give you an example earlier this year I, I tweaked something in my left foot and that's really my planting foot especially because I like to come left to right. And that's my inside foot. And I felt like for a good three or four weeks, like I couldn't plant correctly. And so my form and my rhythm um, was altered because of that. And it just takes the littlest bit. And this past uh, off season, you had two major surgeries. And you've talked about this before, but just discuss a little bit your challenge this summer of coming back from those two injuries. It's been more significant than I thought it was going to be, uh, in all honesty. You know, after some years of shooting the ball, how you want to shoot it, you, you know, and I really dissect a lot of this and I think a lot about it, and you feel like you've kind of figured some things out, but then, you know, your body 
deals with injuries or surgeries or, you know, life. And I'm a big believer. Like, for me, like we talked about shooting this a little bit ago, like I probably put as much, if not more time, probably quite a bit more time actually, into having my body, getting my body to feel right and mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. I do actually shooting shots. I feel like, I don't want to get too scattered here, but... No, I, like, I know what you're saying. Why, cause I, why I, does, why, like, like I always think about like when people have good shooting stretches and shooting slumps. Why do we have shooting slumps? Is it because all of a sudden your hand-eye coordination is not as good? Like, I don't think so, right? I think, right. to me, how your body feels, like how strong your legs are, how mobile your shoulder and elbow is, your neck. Like, you have things in your body that could easily throw off your shot. And I think for me, like, just this last year dealing with, like, I feel like I, I know what I want to do and my, with my technique. I feel like I know what I want to do, but sometimes your body just doesn't do it, you know? And, and I feel like this year for at least a good part of the first half of the season, like, it was just like like the dots just weren't connecting for me and, like I knew what I wanted to do, my body just like couldn't do it, and and so like finding that rhythm, finding that like kind of zone that you want to be in, uh, I think a big part of it is mental. I think a huge part of it is just feeling healthy and feeling physically well. And I think yeah, the, the surgery is definitely like I was saying earlier. Like uh, it took a lot more out of me than I than I thought it was going to. It was interesting. So, you know, you feel like you got a couple things figured out, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> right. Well, I think for you and me, and look, there's a lot of guys, we're good athletes. I don't know that we're great athletes relative to the rest of the NBA, but it seems like, you know, our margin of error is so small. And so for us, you know, being in tune with your body and understanding how that does affect the way you shoot the ball, it requires constant maintenance. And by constant, I mean daily. And I've mentioned this before, but on a typical game day, you know, there's hours that go into getting ready to play. And it's not just my, you know, pregame routine of shooting. It's, it's all the hip mobility stuff, the ankle mobility stuff, the deep tissue work. I don't know that a lot of people really understand that. And I can't rely on athleticism in this league. And so part of it is the prep work. And then the other side of it is the mental side. Steve Nash, when he came on, he talked about the mental pressure of being expected to make shots, like having that pressure on you every day. Is that something you're conscious of, that you're going into a game, do you feel pressure to make shots? I think sometimes, I think so. I think you feel it more like if you miss three or four in a row. Mm-hmm. I think I've always kind of put the pressure myself to like to show everyone, like, yo, I missed three or four in a row, but I'm about to make three or four in a row. And I think there's something to that. Sometimes that helps you. Sometimes that that hurts you. Right. Um, but there is like the expectation that you know when you shoot the ball, like the whole everyone stands up, or especially at home, like everyone's like, mm-hmm. and then you miss it, and it's like, oh, I can hear you're running back down the court. It's kind of like, man. I uh, think I think the mentality of being a shooter is fascinating. It's something that I think about. I would say I think about it daily, and I think about it before games. It's not necessarily something that I want to admit, though. Does that make sense? It's like, it's like, yeah, I will say, well, I'm, I'm 0 for 10. I'm going to take the next one. But listen, there's a different mentality if you're 0 for 10 than if you're 10 for 10. If you're 10 for 10, you're like, I'm going to go find a heat check. If you're 0 for 10, you're like, I got to get an open corner three. There's a difference. Would you agree with me? Totally, man. Like the mental side of shooting, like it is, uh, 
it's everything, you know. Like if you truly believe that your next shot is going in, if you uh, if you can get past the pressure of I'm supposed to make this or not, like if you can find that good spot in your head, and that's a daily thing too. I think that's kind of a lot of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like there is such mental preparation for every game. Like if you want to be a great shooter, there is so much mental preparation to like to visualize how you want to shoot the ball, to visualize your spots where you're going to get it, to mm-hmm. block out any outside noise or expectation or whatever it is. It is a daily challenge for sure. Oh, that's awesome, Kyle. Hey, before we move on, I was just thinking about something. You probably don't have any problem getting tickets to games with all the connections that you have. But for most people, that's not the case. That's why fans should go to SeatGeek. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated, and they all try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell tickets to your favorite NBA team. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to to look for tickets to a game. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I just used it the other day to look at tickets for the Adele concert. SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you can save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events, and SeatGeek will let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, they show you the full ticket price from start to finish and never try to trick you with huge fees on the checkout page. Now, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. Here's how to get your $20 rebate on tickets. Download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter promo code JJ. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app today and enter promo code JJ. So you do visualize because that's something that I started doing, I mean, even in high school and I've done really my whole career. I'll visualize coming off a pin down or I'll visualize running in transition. And when I'm doing these exercises, like I'm thinking about the stuff we're talking about, the mechanics of it, right? I'm thinking about the footwork, how I'm catching the ball, how I'm generating force to, to elevate, uh, where my release point is, how I want the ball to come out of my hand. Like those are all things that I do. And it sounds like, you know, you do them too. And there's like a conscious, you know, stream of thought there prior to games. There is. I like watching, visualizing what's going to happen in a game and where you think the opportunities are going to be. I like just like visualizing, like, you know, like I like seeing close-up images of me shooting or even of other people shooting, you know, Mm -hmm. like I like trying to dissect mechanics of other guys' shots too and kind of seeing what's working Mm -hmm. for them and maybe what's not working for them. Um, Like I'm a big visual learner. That's kind of like how yeah, I'm I wired. And, I am too. Yep. And uh, so even just like watching the other guys shoot before the game and kind of seeing where I feel like, you know, like I feel like the more I talk about shooting, the more I try to help other people or try to like kind of coach it, the more stuff kind of sinks into me as well. And yeah. so like for me, just kind of like watching other guys shoot and kind of not dissecting it, but kind of, I guess, like looking at their shot right. and what they're doing stuff tends to naturally, you know, I kind of visualize it better and then I end up doing it better in the game as well. Yeah, I definitely do the same thing. I mean, there's some of my best games will because I, I literally watch someone shoot before the game and I'm like, Oh my God, like look how the ball comes out of their pocket when they shoot or mm-hmm. look at their footwork and they're, they're coming right to left. Like that's different. Let me, let me try to do that. Who are the guys yeah. that you enjoy watching shooting right now? 
Current players. Well, I mean, we all love watching Steph. Steph. I mean, yeah, yeah, Steph, for sure. It's pretty amazing what he's doing. Guys that I love, I don't necessarily, I mean, I, I love watching guys who are making shots, you know, but I always mm. like watching guys whose shots are somewhat similar to mine. Like, I just look at guys on my own team. You know, guys who are great shooters right now, like Damian Lillard right now, he's shooting the ball. I love watching guys who just shoot the ball, and it looks so effortless. Right. You know, like, there's some guys who, like, they shoot it, and it's just like they're slinging that ball. Mm. And there's some guys who are just like, you know, it feels like they're shooting a 10-foot shot. You know what I mean? It's a, yeah. And, like, those are the guys that I really like to watch. Because like what is like how are they leveraging their body? How are they leveraging their legs? Right. How are they le- like where is their elbow? Why is it like I don't feel like that person's that much stronger than me? But they're shooting the ball so effortlessly. Why? Right. And I think those are the guys that I feel like like if I'm really trying to visualize and um, Damian like Lillard, watch. his leg strength, his elevation doesn't change at 35 feet as opposed to mm-hmm. 15 feet. That's always been yeah. fascinating to me. And even on the move, I mean, we think, you know, the shot he hit against Houston in the playoffs, he's going against his body away from the basket. He catches it about 28 feet, and he has the leg strength to, you know, elevate like it's a normal jump shot. Um, right. You mentioned Steph. The other guy I love watching shoot is Clay Thompson. And yep. Clay doesn't elevate necessarily like uh, Damian Lillard, but it's the same thing you're talking about. It looks effortless. And you play golf, and I try to play golf, but. The best golf swings, the guys who hit the ball the straightest and the longest, it looks like they're not, with the exception of Bubba Watson, it looks like they're not (laughs) even trying. And I think it's almost the same with a jump shot. You know, guys like Steph and and I think you too. I mean, I love watching you shoot. I think the three of y'all, I I would put you, Steph, and Clay kind of in the same category of of guys. It, It just looks like it's second nature to you. It's fun to watch. Um, well, I think, you know, the biggest key in shooting is, like, you want to make your shot the same every time, right? And when you're truly leveraging everything that you have and you're making it effortless, those are the easiest shots to do over and over again. You know, if you're having to really try and really, like, really jump or really force it out of your hand, it's hard to do that the same every single time, you know? And so, like, it's amazing how, you know, guys with average strength, you know, this guy's way stronger than than we are for sure. But, like, how do you keep on leveraging what you have and make it effortless and understand, you know, how do you use – I'm going to keep on saying the same thing. Just, like, how do you leverage what you have yeah. like to the yeah. best of your ability? This is going to sound like a weird question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. When we play against each other, when you and I play against each other, do your teammates give you a hard time? Like, do they make comparisons between y'all when y'all are watching film? Like, for whatever reason, like, for, for the last, like, four or five years – I feel like people like compare me to you, and I mean, it's I'll take it for sure. But do you get that ever? Totally, man. Like yeah. it's you and me. It's Doug McDermott. It's you know, <laughs> yeah, Doug like, McDermott. Like, any white dude. It's like Doug McDermott. We're like thrown into this category, you know. Yeah, um, it's great. And uh, it's great. and you understand it, and it's not a big deal. But it is, no, it's it not. Is it's funny, not. It's actually. just funny to me. There's you so know, much difference. I mean, there's some similarities there, to our yes, game. Yes, there's, there's some similarities. I don't want to go into all the differences because I feel like it would be very self degrading. But you know, I'll say this: you were an all star last year. Like you have that. Like, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I maybe said this to you this summer, but, like, I'm a little jealous. Like, you are an all-star. That's incredible. I mean, that, to me, is is amazing, and it shows not just how well you shoot the ball, but how well-rounded your game has become. And I know Zach Lowe did a big piece on you last year at the beginning of the year. I mean, you've 
you're a star. I mean, that's it's a credit to not only your ability to shoot the basketball, but how hard you've worked at your body and and how hard you worked at becoming a well-rounded player. It's it's awesome, man. I'm I'm very happy for you and jealous. Was the All Star nod? Was that your greatest accomplishment of your career? I mean, I guess you would say, yeah. You know, I mean, honestly, that was something that was not on my radar. I mean, mm-hmm. that was not on my radar. I never even never even really thought of myself like that. But even last I mean, year during the season when like you guys someday, are going on like this when run, I sit back and you reflect on a career and to be able to say you played <laughs> an All Star game, like, you'll be able to say that. Thing, you'll be able to say that. Yeah, Knox cool. and Knox will be playing against each other in AAU, and you'll come up to me and be like, "Hey, man." I played in an all-star game. <laughs> you didn't. No, it's awesome, man. I, I think it's great. Before we get to this week's four on four, I do want to ask you about the Hawks. And I'm going to be very blunt with this question. Did last year's team overachieve or is this year's team underachieving? Probably a little bit of both. You know, I think definitely last year, a lot of things came together for us. And I think for us as a team, like just a lot of us had never had success to that level before, you know, and it was really exciting, and I think guys were incredibly focused and worked really hard, and we didn't have, like, many stinker games where you just kind of, like, you know, sweep it under the rug. Like, we competed pretty much every night and played really well, and we had an amazing stretch in the middle. I think our style and how we were playing was relatively new, and people weren't really sure how to guard it and what to do with it. And I think, yeah, we do overachieve probably a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. This year, I actually think we're a more talented team than we were last year. Like, I really believe that. And so, have we underachieved to this point? I would say yes. I do feel like the season is not lost by any means. I still feel like we no can way. finish really strong with these last 20 games and make a nice yep. run. Um, I like, I truly believe that in my bones, man. But we got to get that same fire and the same focus that we had, you know, during that awesome stretch last year that we had. You know, that kind of mental focus and playing with purpose and Right, um, making the extra pass and doing the things that make what we do good. You know, we got we got to get back to that on a consistent basis. I think there was an element of just like you guys, kind of surprising teams. The year before, you were the eighth seed. I think I think you were thirty-seven and forty-five, somewhere around there. Maybe that's inaccurate, but something like that. And so, you guys to win sixty games the next year was an incredible accomplishment. But it certainly surprised people. And I think coming into this year, there was probably you know, a level of expectation and it's, you know, just in terms of from a team standpoint, it's harder to win when there is that expectation, which is one of the reasons the Warriors and what they're doing is is so incredible. Mm -hmm. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Redick. As I've talked about before on this show, one of the hardest parts of my job is being on the road. I've also got a one and a half year old at home, so grocery shopping can sometimes be tough. That's why I love coming home to a fresh delivery from Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks are exceptional meat at great prices with excellent customer service. Omaha Steaks deliver it all. Why Omaha Steaks? It's the highest quality beef with one-of-a-kind flavor. All the beef and bison come from the Golden Plains. There's seafood, poultry, pork, veal, and lamb. There's also veggies, desserts, appetizers, pasta, soups, seasonings, sauces, and more. It's pretty much a one-stop shop. And everything is backed by Omaha Steaks' 100% unconditional guarantee. Now, I want to tell you about this great package being offered to my listeners. There's huge savings, and the box comes with a great variety. Right now, when you use my code JJ, you will get 76% off this exclusive package. I said that right, 76%. The package includes two tender filet mignons, two bold, beefy top sirloins, 
two moist, savory, boneless pork chops, four homestyle chicken fried steaks, 15 giant Italian spice all-beef meatballs, four award-winning gourmet jumbo franks, four crispy, creamy potatoes au gratin, four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha steak seasoning packet, plus four juicy made-from-premium ground beef Omaha steaks burgers. This exclusive package is only $49.99. All of that meat and produce for $49.99. Go to omahasteaks.com, type JJ in the search bar to get this great deal. That's omahasteaks.com. Enter JJ in the search bar to get this great package for $49.99. All right, we're going to do this week's 4 on 4. And this week's 4 on 4, because we're talking to a great shooter, we're going to talk about the four most underrated shooters in modern NBA era. So I feel like every week I qualify the four on four, but people still get mad at me on Twitter. So like last week we did the four best in-game NBA dunks and people were just flabbergasted that I did not include Vince Carter's dunk in the Olympics, but it wasn't an NBA game. Neither was Dante Jones dunk against UVA. That was in college. So I'm qualifying this. Like, we're not going to talk about Jerry West. Jerry West did not play in the modern NBA, okay? We're not going to talk about, I think the guy's name is Lou Dampier, Louis Dampier. I think he led the ABA in three points, like, for his career. So we're not going to talk about him either. All right, we're going to alternate. So I'm going to name one, you so name wait, one. It's like modern day. Like modern what's, day. So what's like our deadline? Like what is what is like, modern day? Like I mean, many? let's just say Magic and Larry. Three point line, Magic okay. and Larry, Magic like nineteen eighty plus. All right. Yeah. All right. So I'll go first, you alternate. So one of my most underrated shooters ever, and it's a guy that a lot of people think is a great shooter, but I just feel like he doesn't get enough credit, and that's Peja Soyakovich. He's number thirteen all time in three pointers made. By the way, you're number eight. That's pretty awesome. I looked it up today. In 2004, he made 240, which led the league. And one of the reasons that I think he's so great and doesn't get enough credit is because maybe the Kings, you know, they had these great teams and didn't win. But to me, that elbow set that Rick Adelman used to run in Sacramento, it worked because of the threat of Peja and, and how good he was at shooting the basketball. You mentioned earlier, I think when we were talking, he's a guy that you, you, we were in college when Peja was doing this in Sacramento. Like, he's the guy you looked up to growing up. Man, I loved, he was definitely my favorite. Like, when I came into the NBA, like, Peja was, like, he was everything. He, I had, like, a man crush on Peja. When we, my second year, when I was in Philly, we traded for Chris Weber, and I thought we were going to, like, reenact the corner action in Philadelphia, <laughs> like, with me, AI, and Webb. Yeah. And it just didn't work out quite the same. It's a little um, different. But people don't understand how big Page Page was like six uh, nine, six ten, yeah. and like two forty two, and he was yeah. shooting a thing above his head. He was amazing, man. Couldn't so block a shot. A, Could not block a shot. And yeah. for me, like the impact that he had on me was when I got to Duke. He was that was like the the Sacramento teams, and he used to take some ballsy shots in transition. I mean, like three on one, three on zero. Oh, like he would just pull up from three. So any time I shoot a transition three, it's because of Peja Stojakovic. Okay, hey. give me one of yours. My number one. He's still playing right now. Probably doesn't quite get. You know, he doesn't have the attempts maybe of other guys that we'll talk about. But Steve Novak 
is an assassin. That boy can shoot the basketball. Yep. He's one of the few guys who, like, when I watch him, I'm like, yo, that dude, like, I don't like trying to rank myself in anything. I'm not, right. I don't believe you get to pick your own nicknames. I don't, I don't believe you get to rank yourself. But uh, Steve Novak can shoot that ball. So he yeah. is my number one. All right. I like it. I like it. Another guy that when he shoots it, it's effortless. Woody and I were actually talking about Mike Woodson, uh, our assistant coach who coached Steve in New York. We're talking about Steve the other day. I don't know if you remember the year that Steve had in New York right before he got his contract. Yeah. The ATOs, the after timeout plays that they used to run for him were ridiculous. It seemed like every time, mm-hmm. open three, and he knocked it down every time. Okay. My second guy, most underrated shooters of the modern NBA era, is a former teammate of mine, Richard Lewis. Mm, Um, Good one. He's actually number 12 in all-time threes. There were two years in Orlando where he made over 220 threes. He led the league in three-pointers made in 2009. And the real reason, I think, is that you know he was kind of ahead of his time. He was a three, and he came to Orlando, and he – we moved him to the four. Stan wanted to play this kind of small ball and have four shooters around Dwight. And, you know, he was kind of part of that natural evolution of the Phoenix Suns, and now everybody plays small ball. But just an amazing shooter, no conscious on that guy. He's We talked about going 0 for 10 earlier. Like, he would go 0 for 10, and then all of a sudden he'd have five threes in the fourth quarter and, you know, end up with 22 points for a game. I mean, I just loved watching him play, loved playing with him. He was a great guy. Good one. So give me another one of yours. All right. Uh, next one. I don't have all the numbers you have, dude. Like, I didn't get the research. Basketball that. reference. That's, that's Basketball really reference. Um, so my second one, I think uh, kind of going back a couple generations, probably one of the first, like, great catch-and-shoot guys. We hear about kind of like, you know, guys from a few generations ago. We talk, There's tons of great shooters, that, tons of great names that come up. But Dale Ellis is not brought up that much. And I know, like, he had the record for a long time for most threes in a career. Um, He's a little bit down the list now. But, I mean, for a long time, he was number one, shot over 40%, I know, for his career. And that really matters to me. You know, like, there's a lot of guys high up on the career made list who just put up a ton of shots. volume shooters, yeah, volume shooters. To be, like, a great shooter, in my mind, like, 40% is kind of, like, the bottom of where you can be. And he was over that. So I think of all those guys that you know, get love and as they should. I don't feel like Dale Ellis has gotten his. So uh, I'm gonna say I, li- I like that call. Another guy that from that kind of era that maybe doesn't get as much love as he should is is Del Curry. Del Curry was an mm-hmm. amazing shooter. Same era for me on my next guy, Glenn Rice. Yep. He had one of the prettiest shots I've ever seen. He played in a time where the three point shot wasn't emphasize as much it wasn't as as much of a part of an offense and so you know for in terms of total threes made it's a little bit lower than some of these other guys on the list but I want to give you these stats in 96 97 he was an all-star in Charlotte he made 207 threes led the league shot 47 percent and averaged just under 27 points it's amazing yeah all right your third guy my number three uh when I first came into the NBA uh, the Pistons, they would you know, they give everybody problems, but in Philly, we, we had no shot against them. And Chauncey Billups, man, like I think people think about Chauncey, they think of leader and point guard and right. competitor and all that, but, you know, man, Chauncey Billups, like he was always up there in both makes and a percentage. Yep. 
Yep. You know, Mr. Big Shot obviously hit lots of big ones at the end of the games, but man, he would he would pull it from deep too. And you know, Coach Brown was not real big on threes either. You know, so it wasn't like he had the confidence of his coach trying to like get him to search out threes. Like he was kind of kind of doing that on his own a little bit. But you'd be so worried about floppy action with Rip and the Wallaces and all that, and then all of a sudden Chauncey would just pull from the top of the key while you're trying to, you know, shade the wing, trying to protect the ball from Rip. And He's one of my favorite good, shooters man. ever, too. I think he yeah, would have been perfect playing for the Houston Rockets under Maury Ball because he was like threes and free throws. That's how he scored. It was, it was awesome. All right, my fourth guy, this guy is an MVP, one of the greatest scorers in the league today will go down as one of the greatest scorers ever. I don't think people understand how good of a shooter this guy is. My fourth guy is Kevin Durant. Um, he's part of the elite 50-40-90 club. Last two years on long twos from 10 to 16 feet, he's shooting just under 54%. And from 16 feet to the three-point line, he's 42% for his career. Well above league averages, shoots just a hair under 40% for his career from three. But to me, people talk about, you know, his length and his, his ball handling, his athleticism. You know, what makes Kevin Durant so good at scoring is his ability to shoot. I agree. That dude, he is amazing, man. He's always been an efficient guy, and that's what I really appreciate about him. You know, he's obviously, he takes a lot of attempts, but his efficiency has always been high no matter where he shoots from. And, right. He's um, great. Yeah, he's amazing. All right, so your fourth guy uh, on your most underrated shooters in the modern NBA era is? All right. Uh, my fourth one, this dude is truly underrated as a shooter, man. Like, he probably takes a lot of shots that he shouldn't and, uh, you know, has a bad rap for whatever reasons. But, you know, we talked about earlier about guys who shoot the ball effortlessly and it looks the same every time. <laughs> J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith, yeah. J.R. Smith, I'm like, I think he's an incredible he shooter. He's an incredible There's, shooter. It's, like, it's. I feel like a lot has been said about J.R. Right? Let's not get into that. Just from a shooting yeah. standpoint, it's effortless. It looks the same every time. When he has his feet set and his body square, I feel like every time he shoots the ball, it's going in. I agree. I don't, he can shoot from like half court, and it looks like he's shooting a free throw. Like mm-hmm. he's got incredible range. He can shoot it off the dribble. He can shoot it off catch and shoot. He can shoot it, you know, spinning backwards from 28 feet like he is a really really good shooter and uh i think you know people get caught up in other stuff with him unfortunately and it's not it's not appreciated all right yeah. well, i love I'm it i'm gonna say jr smith okay so that's this week's four on four no one tweet at me that i left out john havlicek okay i qualified it earlier do not tweet that at me this week thank you very much all right kyle i appreciate all the time you've given us fascinating to talk about shooting hoops with you and uh, really appreciate you giving the time. Sure, buddy. Anytime. All right. Look forward to seeing Knox this summer. You're Knox. Yeah, definitely. All right, man. We'll get him together. <laughs> right. Shoot some hoops on the three-foot hoop. Exactly. All right. Sounds good, man. Thanks. All right, bud. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. Please tweet me at JJ Reddick for any questions and comments. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, SeatGeek and Omaha Steaks. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. Find your voice.